Hey, BSP fans, this is Tim, and you're listening to episode 37 of the Black Swamp Podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in, and feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, throw us some stars and or a review, as that always helps boost our exposure and push our little podcast out to more percussion enthusiasts like yourself. Couple quick shout outs uh, before moving on to this episode with Michael Patassin. Uh, judging for the solo divisions of our 2021 Percussion Ensemble Showcase wrapped up a few weeks ago. So I'll announce some results. Um, see, we had a couple solo divisions uh, College Snare Drum. Uh, first place winner was Ashton Carter from Texas AM University in Counters. Uh, second place went to Andrew Simmons from the University of Delaware. Uh, in the high school snare drum solo division, first place went to Jonathan Sicard from Prosper High School. Second place, Arjun Palaniyapan from Linmar High School. Uh, then we also had a multi-percussion solo division uh, with college entries only. So first place went to Catherine Lemon from Central Michigan University. And second place, Tyler Smith at Oberlin Conservatory. So congrats uh, to all the winners and thanks for everybody that participated. Uh, we'll be sharing video features on our website and socials in the next few weeks. Uh, so keep an eye out for those. Also throw a link in the show notes for easy access. Uh, Michael Patassin is a recent BSP concert artist, but actually someone I've known since meeting at a convention years ago. Uh, he's got his hands in all sorts of musical stuff uh, like musical theater, uh, sequencing and programming, uh, arts administration, and most recently audio video production, uh, largely due to the pandemic and ensembles wanting to record and produce uh, video content to share with their supporters. Uh, this all seems to stem from his willingness and excitement to try new things, uh, accepting challenges and a loose professional motto to never say no uh, within reason. Uh, so we discuss Michael's motto in connection with his various activities and how they developed as well as a push for diversity awareness and inclusion within his projects and the percussion community as a whole. So here we go. Well, yeah, you and me both. So this could be the most awkward conversation on the podcast to date. Yay! <laughs> right. I think that intro. I think that's going to have to stay. Yeah, I think that's where intro. we'll start. <laughs> so well, well, the, welcome to the podcast. Either way, Mike, Mike, it's probably not Mike. It's Michael, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I went to a school with a lot of other people named michael okay. and so we all had to very much stick to a certain thing yeah. i definitely go by michael <laughs> so were were you were you michael p then at school or was um i was mostly just michael people uh, do call me michael p yeah. um but i was mostly michael there was michael mike um there was someone we called by the last name yeah. and then there was someone that we referred to as a completely different name yeah. <laughs> okay wait i don't want to know <clears throat> that that that's, this is a family show no it was a, it was a normal name <laughs> now we just called him timmy oh okay uh, oh, he, that's kind of, cute. he kind of always he kind of always looked like tiny tim yeah just something about his face so uh yeah we just had another name <laughs> yeah that's funny nobody really calls me timmy uh except for i have a well my professor in undergrad greg secor um, i knew him like 
when I was in junior high. And then he was my percussion instructor in high school, like all through high school. And then when I went to um, Grand Valley State University, which is in West Michigan here, the when I joined the music program, he started teaching at the music program. So then we saw each other for like another four or five years at Grand Valley. And he's really <laughs> the only person that would call me Timmy sometimes, which uh, is endearing, I think. But so, yeah, other than that, nobody calls me Timmy. My So my daughter's youngest daughter's name is Zoe. And uh, uh, she remembers this years ago when she was in... Um, like preschool, there was a couple other Zoe's, I think, there. So they all had to refer to themselves as like Zoe C or Zoe P or Zoe. Mm-hmm. So it still kind of frustrates her. She's like, my name's just Zoe. You don't have to call me <laughs> Zoe C. So, uh, yeah. So, um, all right, Michael, back, back to reality here. Uh, <laughs> l- what I like to do is sometimes um, is just get a little bit of backstory from people. So, yeah. I know you went to school at North Carolina, Greensboro, for doctoral work specifically. Mm-hmm. And now, right now, you're in Dallas. Like, did you kind of grow up on the sort of southern east coast, like in North Carolina? Or uh, how did, how did, you, yeah, where did you grow up and how did you end up in Dallas, basically? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I started in Pennsylvania. That's where I was born. Okay. Um, kind of in central Pennsylvania, about 50 miles north of Harrisburg, capital. Wow. Uh, I was there until I was 12, I think, um, right right when you started sixth grade. I think that was 11 or 12. Sure. And I moved to North Carolina at that point. Uh, and I stayed there until, yeah, about August of 2015. And then I moved out here to Dallas. And I've, I've been here since then. Um, so did you go to, uh, like, undergrad and graduate work in North Carolina also? Or... Yes. Yeah. I actually, (laughs) this is the thing that, um, there's always lots of talk about schools and what people do. I actually went to, uh, UNCG University of North Carolina at Greensboro for all three degrees, bachelor's, master's, doctorate. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Um, I studied with different people at all points in time. Um, so the main reason I stuck around one, I really liked the people that I got to study with over the course of of the degrees. Um, but I was really kind of, um, drawn to the area. I mean, I loved, I loved the Greensboro area. I liked the people. I, there were also a lot of like, you know, personal life things that kind of kept me there, yeah. uh, for a while. And so while there were parts of me that, that did want to venture other places for school, I pretty much stayed there. Um, but like my undergrad, I studied with, um, TA. So I had, uh, Pete Zambito, I think one year and, um, and then Nathan Daughtry right. taught me for several years. And then, like my senior year, I studied with the main professor of court McLaren and then I studied with him during my master's. And then when I went back to my doctorate, uh, court retired. And so I had, uh, a few different people over the course of my, uh, coursework in the DMA program that were my teachers. Mm. So, oh, yeah, kind of varied. Yeah. Cool. What I mentioned these kind of black swan presentations i'm not sure if that was on or off mic that i do and sometimes people ask me about my transition from like graduate school to working at black swan percussion and there was definitely a time there during that transition where i was like i went to the university of akron for graduate work and you know what was i gonna do was i gonna go get my doctorate or was i gonna try to go somewhere and play like what was your sort of thought process behind 
getting a doctorate, I guess, like kind of making that decision. <laughs> like what, you know, what uh, did, did you kind of have an idea of where you were going or doing at that time? Or you're just like, I want to keep playing or I want to keep studying, which was my case when I got just my graduate degree. Um, I, I think for me, it was part of my original plan was, uh, I am going to be a university professor. And yeah. so to do that, I have to get a doctorate. Right. Uh, that was really the only overriding factor between doing a doctorate. If I if I didn't have that part of me that had wanted to do that, I, I would have stopped mm -hmm. earlier in my education. Yeah. So then what brought you to Dallas? Or what <laughs> took you to Dallas uh, besides an air, probably an airplane? Maybe you drove. I don't know. No, it was a, a U-Haul with all of that stuff in tow. <laughs> right. Including, including the two cats, which yeah. were not a fan of the of the twenty hour drive. They didn't. Um, they didn't have to ride in the back of the U-Haul, right? They were. No, the they were in the cabin. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was not it was not very pleasant for them. They yeah. they did not enjoy that trip. Um, well, I, I, I'm surprised I didn't end up in Dallas maybe sooner. In life, like I said, I you know there were a lot of things that kind of kept me in Greensboro. Right. Uh, but when I marched drum corps. Uh, back in the day, I was around people, uh, both instructors and players, who were from this area. Oh, okay. my, my teachers back then, the caption heads, were, were Paul Rennick and Sandy Rennick. Right. At the time, Sandy Sherman. And um, and so... We're talking about Carolina Ground, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Carolina Ground. And so lots of friends, you know, went to UNT and and or transferred to UNT. I had friends in North Carolina that okay. transferred out there. And so there was always kind of that draw, like, hey, come come join us. And I just I never really did. Um, but yeah, I was looking for for something new, kind of in life. Like I said, I finished my doctorate, and then um, I, I stayed, you know, working. I worked in a law firm uh, for about eight years in North Carolina, and I, and I worked there a couple more years after I finished my doctorate. Wait, and a then, law firm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> litigating. Were you like in in like order in the court type stuff, or like sort of? <laughs> no, 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 no. I did not work. I did not work in the courtroom. Yeah. not an attorney or anything. I was a paralegal assistant. Oh, that's like that. cool. Um, I went through a few different jobs at the law firm. Yeah. I mean, I worked there eight years. So, uh, but yeah, that was. I started that after my master's. I I I took a year off before I went back for my doctorate. And so I got a full-time job as a receptionist. And then after a few months, I became a case manager. And then when I wanted to go back to school, they were really cool and and worked out a you know part-time position for me. Mm -hmm. And I stayed doing that basically for the last you know, six and a half years. Did you have an interest in law prior to that? Or was it like, I need a summer no. job? <laughs> yeah, I just I was looking for full time work, yeah. and a friend of mine was working in one of their offices and said, uh, he he texted me at like uh, it was like ten a.m. one one day and was like, hey, if you're still looking for a job, they're they're looking for a receptionist in our Greensboro office. Uh, can you be there in forty five minutes? Yeah. Now I was still in bed, <laughs> and Greensboro it's only a 25, 30 minute drive, so right. it's not that bad. But it was like I had to get out, I had to get showered and get dressed and find a resume, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and print it, yeah. uh, and then get up to the interview. And I remember, and then getting lost uh, trying to find the office. Right. So that was that was fun. But I but I got that job. Yeah, you were um, the first one there, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it kind of worked out that way. Uh, um, but yeah, so that's how I ended up at that. Um, what were we talking about before that? Oh, uh, coming to Dallas. Yeah, yeah. So well, and sorry. So, side note. Also, I uh -huh. was my again. I'm working from home, and my wife is like 
right in the same room here. She works from home every day. She's like, who are you talking to today? And I was like, ah, oh, this guy, Michael Patassin. And, and usually my in, like, explaining who people are to her is if, if they have or have not marched drum corps because uh, she marched. <laughs> uh, she was in Cadets Color Guard in the, like, mid-'90s. And so, oh, okay. yeah, and I'm like, okay, he marched Carolina Crown in, like, early 2000s. So he was uh, marimbus and percussionist there. So that's usually my in. Yeah. And then I try to tell her more about who I'm talking about. But, like, it's all kind of hinges on drum corps. But uh, yeah, I, I must have just I probably just missed her. I started in 98. So oh, March okay. 98 through 02. Yeah. But so if she was at cadets, then April Gilligan oh, yeah. uh, would have yeah. been there. Yeah. Her instructors. So. Yep. She was yeah. uh, was I think. Well, she's not paying attention right now, but 94, <laughs> 95, 96, I think like West Side Story. Oh. And then um, oh, yeah, there, was a, there was a there uh, was like a Western show and something else in there. So. Um, yeah, the the Aaron Copeland yeah, stuff, yeah. which had a really cool front ensemble um, <laughs> section. Okay, yeah, I, no, I we again we have two daughters, and one uh, not that long ago, Nicole was playing some of that show, and I I think I was playing some for our youngest daughters, and uh, just just to kind of show them what you know what mom did when she was younger <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, and played some of the Aaron Copeland show, and it was yeah, it was great. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. Okay. So transitioning back to to <laughs> to Dallas. So you're you're in Texas. Yeah. Uh, so you you made that move. Yeah. It was mainly you know I like I said I'd finished my doctorate. I was looking for um, teaching experience. I'd I'd applied for a bunch of jobs, but when you don't actually have you know real teaching experience, it's hard. Even you know for those beginner you know, beginning jobs, um, you know, they were in places that I didn't necessarily want to live, uh, for personal things. You know, I'm gay and I, I didn't feel comfortable, you know, with the location of where some of the positions were located. So I was like, there were some things I just wasn't applying for. Uh, but my main thing was like, I just need more actual teaching experience. And so I decided, um, to contact my friend, Mark, uh, who was a band director or is a band director still currently at Duncanville High School in Duncanville. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to high school together. He graduated my freshman year and we marched crown together. He aged out in, I don't remember if it was two, I think it was 2001. Uh, might've been 2000, but I think it was, I don't remember. Sorry, Mark. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt years. he's listening. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not live. Right, but, right, um, right. So anyway, he you know he had been talking about it, and and I was kind of looking for something to do, and I knew that their lesson teacher was leaving, and so I was like, you know, what's it like? He's like, well, why don't you come down, and check it out? And so I flew out um, over uh, a week. Uh, it came in, I think it was like in April or something and mm. stayed for a week and, you know, went with him to all the classes. He was still, um, kind of doing the percussion instructor thing mm-hmm. at the time. And then he finally transitioned fully to just band director. Um, and so I went to, went to classes, met kids, hung out, went to rehearsals, stuff like that. Um, and then we spent, you know, a day just looking at apartments and trying to like, you know, pick places if I did want to move that I could stand to live. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I went home and then a couple, you know, a couple of weeks later I made the decision. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of what brought me out. You know, I had that connection with him, which helped, um, you know, have me a position before I got here, which was, I think the only reason I moved, If, if I wouldn't have had something lined up. Yeah. 
I don't think I would have just moved to Dallas for for no reason. <laughs> right. Of all the places to go, uh, no. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know. I'm. I, a lot of people that I talk to kind of make these moves either across the country or um, mm-hmm. even you know out of out of the U.S. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I give I give people a lot of credit for kind of you know taking that step. Um, so one thing that I kind of connect with you specifically um, and playing in in Dallas, and I I know you do teaching you. Um, you know, obviously with high school and kind of college level there, I believe, but you're also heavily involved in musical theater. Um, uh-huh. And what, if people do go to your website, you have I, this awesome resource, like, and that's kind of a little thread about, you know, when I was kind of researching some of what you're doing and looking at what you're doing, uh-huh. like, it seems like you like to put together content for other percussionists or other performers um and so you have like an online resource of of the different shows you've played and then specifically set up like picks like how you set things up um can you just talk a little bit about how sort of your career in musical theater took shape and like and and then like is that sort of a goal of yours to kind of share some of that experience with other people yeah, well, my my first, I guess we say, foray into <laughs> musical theater uh, back in North Carolina. Yeah. I, I definitely started there. Um, a friend of mine was um, a horn player named Kate. She was teaching, and we went to school together. Uh, and she had worked some with Elon University in North Carolina, which has a huge, amazing musical theater program. One of the, probably one of the top ones in the country. Their their kids go on to to be all over Broadway and tours and everything. They're great great performers, um, and she was contracting for the the pit for musicals, and uh, they were doing. I think Sweeney Todd was the first that that she contacted me about, and um, so I, I got hired to do that. They needed two percussionists, and and so my friend Andrew and I went and played that show and that was I, I'm pretty sure that was the first show I played hmm. and um, you know Sondheim and it's Sweeney Todd so there's just you know a bunch of stuff and it's a lot of fun um, and that was kind of like okay well, this is fun and and then I kept getting hired back there and then another friend of mine one of the mics uh, Mike Lassley <laughs> he started he started music directing and so he was hiring his musicians and um and so he hired me to play uh, percussion for that too. And so I started doing that, you know, and I did several shows there. Uh, but when I moved to Dallas, um, I'll say at first, it was crickets. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's one, there's a huge amount of, of playing going on in, in Dallas area. There's, there's a lot of performance opportunities, but there are also a lot of players and there are also a lot of players that play a lot of the opportunities. So, mm. you know, you know, a lot of the gigs are kind of concentrated among a few people. Um, and so breaking into anything consistently is, is really hard. Uh, but luckily I, I met someone, um, Drew Lang, teaches at SMU. Oh, yeah. Um, and he plays just a, a, a lot of stuff um, in town. He's kind of like uh, the Renaissance man of, mm. of percussion freelancing. I mean, yeah. he'll play... 
you know, at the opera one week and he'll be with the orchestra and then he'll be with Dallas Winds and then he'll be playing a musical theater thing at university. It's like, he's just, he's always playing. Yeah. Uh, he lives in black, you know, that's just his life. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, I eventually got into playing out here, got my first opportunity, and then it just snowballed. Um, and I was doing, until last year, I was doing, you know, 12, 13, 14 productions, uh, musical theater productions a year. Yeah. So it was, you know, every month I, I basically had a show and it was keeping me busy. Um, but with the website, uh, I kind of took inspiration from that idea um, in the, there's a musical theater percussion group on Facebook. Right. And, you know, people like to share pictures of setups and talk about things on there. Um, and, you know, one of the people involved in that, Billy Miller, and he has a website with with tons of, of pictures and setup stuff. And it was kind of like, well, I've done, you know, all these shows and I always take pictures of everything. And, and also I just like to talk about why I chose to set up things a certain way. Um, especially when I've done a show more than once. And yeah. so when it's like, okay, well in this production I had to do this, but this time when I played it, my setup's completely different and here's why. Yeah. And so it just, I, I was like, well, I'll just put it on the website and kind of create that resource. So at least for the shows I've done, hopefully, you know, some of that information can be helpful for other people as they get a chance to maybe play a show or do something like that. Yeah, no, I think it's it's pretty cool to like kind of um, sort of bookmark all those all those <laughs> shows and like setups and then think about it and maybe revise it and I don't know it's and then sharing it. I think it's uh, it's a pretty cool idea. Um, another aspect of sort of your musical theater work, which I find interesting, and this might go back um, further too, is just your experience with electronics and mm-hmm. and doing more outside of, you know, playing a percussion or a drum set book or whatever. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of helping to either set up or train like people, you know, using... I, I don't even know <laughs> like different different <laughs> yeah, I, different I, things different stuff yeah I, okay there yeah, was my I first awkward moment for the conversation <laughs> <laughs> probably not my first yeah. I think you're thinking more of like the the talk of like the main stage programming and stuff like that yeah I um, so. so yeah electronics are for better or worse a huge part of musical theater playing especially right. and uh particularly for percussionists you know keyboard players have been used to it forever they've been you know dealing with creating patches and main stage or, or synthesizer programming and stuff like that they've right. been doing that since forever uh percussionists are probably you know maybe the closest next to that in terms of having to do that um and for me it was kind of like a I guess a, a combination of my love of messing with electronics mm. and, and music software kind of combined with um, just my love for theater. And so it just kind of naturally presented itself. Um, I This kind of goes into the work I've been doing the past year. Uh, but basically a lot of the things that have happened in the past few years are because, you know, someone has said, hey, I know you're interested in this can you do this? Is this something that you can do? Mm -hmm. And 
uh, pretty much always my answer will be yes. <laughs> and I'll figure it out if I have to. Right. Uh, I mean, if it's absolutely something that I don't know, I'm not going to say yes. I'm, I'm not going to just be like, yeah, sure. But I mean, if it's something I have some idea about yeah. and it's not a life or death situation, then yeah, I'm happy to try to help out. And I'm probably going to learn something along the way, sure. which is just going to expand my, my knowledge base as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that kind of the main stage aspect, I, I love programming synthesizer books. So, you know, I use mallet cat and and um programming for my own productions especially when i have to combine percussion and drum set books Mm. um like i did a run of sister act and there's a lot of a lot of really nice keyboard moments and and timpani stuff in the percussion book and they only hired me for drum set and um i did get them to pay me more because I was like, well, you're going to miss all this percussion stuff. So I wasn't going to combine it just for free. Like if you were going <laughs> to hire, if you want to hire me to play drums, I'll play drums. If you want a percussionist, hire a percussionist. But, um, since I was combining them, I was like, well, if you pay me for this and this, then I'll, I'll do it. And so, you know, it was like programming all this keyboard stuff. And, you know, it's like doing like chord triggers where, I only have time to hit like one note over on the mallet cat because I'm playing something on drum set. Mm. So that means that I need to make these chords happen. So I'm going to make, you know, five notes happen when I hit the C and then I'm just going to play a scale C D E F G and it's going to come out with all these different chords that are in the other book. So that way I only have to focus on playing one note and all these other things are going to happen stuff like that. Um, yeah, I love programming synthesizer books. I've gotten to do that for several shows. Uh, it's fun you know, you get to kind of experiment with sound and you're trying to recreate things you hear in the original recordings and figure out, well, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is it close to? How do I tweak that sound to get what they're going after and stuff like that? So it's, you know, it's another side of creativity and doing something that I just find really, really enjoying. Basically anything theater yeah. you throw at me, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to love doing. Right. Like, I, I just, yeah. Well, <laughs> so one question I have is, I mean, obviously if you're working with uh, an artistic director or a conductor or, wh- or whoever producer like building um, like these um, like keyboard books and things like that mm-hmm. that I have no idea even what I'm talking about right now <laughs> um, like obviously you're gonna work sort of directly with them but if you are sort of exploring some of your own creativity and like and listening to other recordings of what those you know what are the actual parts and you're only one person mm-hmm. so you can only do much like how much kind of freedom do you have to start building your own either sequences or patches or you know you're mentioning playing you know using a malacat to basically build out chords and things like is it pretty much free reign or are you like gotta gotta talk to artistic directors or directors and in advance be like this is what i want to do this is how I can do it. Or is it like right. you can, you have enough clout now in the musical theater world there that you can pretty much, you're trusted. Uh, I, I think it depends on the situation. Um, if I'm creating keyboard books, uh, you know, piano style keyboard books yeah. for other people, um, it's about staying as true to the original sound as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are things that are kind of, esoteric or they aren't clearly defined or you can't really hear it on a recording especially sound effect type things then yeah i'm gonna ask the the music director hey what do you want this to be um so i can work on creating that for you Mm -hmm. um it's harder when it's a show i'm not involved in because then 
I'm not there to hear what's going on and get that kind of feedback. So it really has to be kind of done ahead of time um, and, and make them think about that. And I'm happy to tweak later. Uh, if it's a show I'm playing, like if, I, if I've created the keyboard book for the, the person who's playing the keyboard part, then it's really easy to change things if we go, you know, this string sound doesn't really work here. We're not getting the attack we need or something. Then sure, I can go and edit it you know, on the moment, and that's kind of cool. But for the most part, it's up to me to really kind of set what I want at first. Um, yeah. With my own books, if I'm playing, you know, a percussion book uh, and it's being combined, then for the most part, the sounds are emulating acoustic instruments, mm -hmm. you know, so there's not really me trying to come up with something. There's, there's not really many moments in percussion books uh, where you're trying to create other kinds of sounds. Yeah. So for the most part, electronics are just a means to simplify something. Right. Um, you know, if you don't have enough space for all the acoustic instruments, um, you're in an environment where maybe miking is a problem, and so going electronic is just kind of the best uh, option for for making the best sound mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. So in those environments, like I said, it, it's really just I'm trying to create acoustic sounds as realistically as possible yeah and then unless you're doing like the witch's rap drums from into the woods <laughs> and then you want it to have that nice little boom bo -do 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 -do, right. you know kind of sound uh which some people hate and they're like oh it's dated and it's so 80s and i'm like yeah but it's also <laughs> the best but it's from uh, the 80s yeah that. yeah exactly yeah um at least it sounds like it is um so <laughs> what like how much time do you have to spend outside of like, I mean, if you get hired, <laughs> yeah, okay, I just opened up Pandora's box there, but like, like, obviously you have to put time and energy and thought outside of, you know, either practicing or rehearsing for these shows. Like, um, mm -hmm. that's something you have to work into your schedule also, or yeah. maybe you negotiate with, uh, whoever, <laughs> you know, whoever's directing or producing the show. Yeah. Yeah, if it's a percussion thing, then yeah, it's just a part of being hired for the gig. And so it's, you know, a part of when I think about what I'm being asked to play, if it's going to involve electronics, um, how much programming and stuff. Mm -hmm. So when they tell me how much they're willing to pay me, I have to kind of do all that mental math of, okay, well, if I have to put in all this time to do this, and then I have to practice this and do all this programming for electronic stuff, you know, when you start to parse it out, people are like, oh, you make, you know, 75 for playing a show, or you make $150 for playing a show. <laughs> well, yeah, one, the show is, is that, that time is several hours. You have to drive somewhere, mm -hmm. um, you play the show, you leave. If it's a setup day, you have all that time in there. Yeah. Um, but there's also all of, like you said, all of the set, figuring out the setup beforehand, practicing through things, sure. um, figuring out electronics and programming if possible. So sometimes it ends up being like, oh, my hourly rate is $12, $15 an hour. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, people have this misconception when they, when they sometimes think, oh, you just went and played and you made all this money. It's like, well, <laughs> right. kind of yeah. all the time. And then, you know, the fact that I've had to buy all this stuff to be able to play that gig. You yeah, know, for sure. It's like it all, it all spreads out. And, um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of outside time. It's honestly nice when someone hires you for a show that one you've played before, um, or it's like, you're just playing drum set yeah. and you don't have to worry about anything else. And maybe there's like one or two tricky grooves you have to like practice and figure out beforehand. Yeah. 
but for the most part, everything else is straightforward. And so it's like, ah, I get to have a breather. Um, But when it's something new or there's a lot of really tricky things going on or you're combining books, then, you know, that time starts to just pile up and pile up. Yeah. Um, So how does this transition to projects you're currently working on? Like you kind of referenced that Mm -hmm. previously. Like what do you have going on now that's possibly connected? Yeah, well, you know, I, it all relates to technology. I, yeah. I've always, you know, part of it's, you know, of when I was born. I was born in 81, um, so I'm going to be 40 this year. Oh. And I grew Congratulations. up with... <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> you made it. Yes, yeah. Almost, not not yet. Right. Getting there. Well, 40 is uh, we'll the new 30. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they said, 30 is the new I, 20. I know, that's what every um, time I... I... <laughs> yeah, sometimes talk to my wife about I'm like, well, we're we're nearing fifty, but fifty's the new forty. Or I told my yeah, my yeah. dad, who's close to him, I'm like, eighty's the new seventy, dad. It's fine. So, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. So you know, I I think my love of electronics and and technology kind of stemmed from the fact that when I was a kid, you know. Um, I had a PC in the home yeah. and, you know, doing dial up Bolton board services and playing like text-based games and stuff like that. Sure. And, you know, the rise of AOL and you've got mail <laughs> and, you know, yeah. um, instant messenger and all those things. And then, you know, eventually you get into, you know, Yahoo and then there's Facebook and then all this stuff and everything just changes, you know, over the years. But because I was kind of immersed in that, um, growing up and, and, you know, technology changing being such a part of my life, I, I've always just really been drawn to learning about it and using it. Um, and so that kind of helps in, in music. Uh, but last year, so everything collapsed and, right. um, you know, I, I lost all work, um, you know, in the middle of March and all of a sudden I went from gainfully employed, um, to having absolutely nothing like so many people did, especially in music. Mm. And, you know, a few months went by and, um, sometime in that, that summer, someone contacted me that I was involved with in the musical theater world and, uh, I had programmed, you know, keyboard books for them before and stuff like that. And she was like, Hey, you know, all these virtual choir things are happening and someone contacted us. She, she runs a company called, or she's co-founder or, or one of the co-people that run this company, Trey Corda, which started as a, a resource to provide uh, accompanists, you know, piano accompanists to people. And then it has kind of grown into like a, basically kind of like a musician contracting. Hey, I need someone to play this. Do you have someone? And, and that kind of thing. Um, and so people contact them for all kinds of things. And someone asked, do you have someone that could put together this virtual choir for us that we want to, we want to record? And it was just, I think it was just, um, I don't know if it was a high school or a church, and, um, and she was like, you know, they like never say no. So like, sure, let us find mm-hmm. someone. And so, uh, she emailed me and was just like, Hey, this, you know, this is happening and these people want this. Is this something you could do? And I said, well, I've never done it, but yeah, <laughs> because I was like, I was like, okay, well, all it is is audio editing and video editing. And I say all that is, right. and it's like, well, I, I already am comfortable with logic and, you know, which is just a digital audio workstation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, using that for recording my own kinds of things and, and mixing and editing and, and all that. And then I was like the video side of things. I was like, well, I kind of know final cut. I've messed around with it a little bit. Um, 
And I was like, I'll figure it out. And I, I looked at a bunch of, you know, a few examples of things that were going on. And you have Eric Whitaker, Virtual Choir, which is insanity. And then you have everyone else's Virtual Choir, which is just like a Brady Bunch um, <laughs> right. on screen. Right. And so I was like, well, I can do something in between those two. Like, I can be a slightly better quality than Brady Bunch on screen. Right. And I'm not going to spend the months of dedicated software engineering time to create virtual choir six that had like 17,000 participants, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I can do something in between those. So I said yes. And was very clear about the fact I had never actually done it. Yeah. Um, and she was like, we can't find anyone who has. So, I mean, that was kind of the thing. Right. It was like, well, not really that many people have done it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was kind of like, well, if you understand the software and think you can do it, we'll say yes. And I said, okay because money, yeah. you know, it was like, you know, after a time of not working and, and unemployment being, uh, <laughs> a disaster, shall we say, sure. uh, to navigate as a self-employed individual, uh, here in Texas also compounded that. And, uh, so yeah, I was like, yes, I need a paycheck. So I did it and it turned out pretty well. And I learned a heck of a lot yeah. those first couple of projects. And now I'm finishing up, I'm like slam booked through the end of this month because every school in the world is doing their spring concert right now. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I personally, by the time we're done or I'm done on May 28th, I will have completed about 80 some projects of my own. Yeah. Um, and you know, those projects vary from, you know, 15, 20 people to 180 people. Wow. You know, there's lots of different levels. I've, I, I estimated I've, I've edited a few thousand videos <laughs> and audio tracks over the course of the last, yeah. you know, not quite year. I think I started in June last year, so it hasn't been quite a year. Uh, and then I also supervise three other people that, uh, make videos as well. So, you know, provide, I have to review all of their stuff and make sure that it's kind of meeting my standard. Yeah. Um, because somehow I became the person. Right. And, uh, so Do, yeah, you know, you've built a little company, you've built a that. company. <laughs> yeah. It's a company within a company. Yeah. Um, because basically, you know, they hired me and then it was like, Hey, I'm too busy. Yeah. Uh, we need to have someone else or you're going to have to say no because I physically don't have time to keep doing it. And they were like, well, we're not going to say no. So we'll find someone else. Right. <laughs> and so at that point, a few months had gone by. So some other people had started to kind of uh, do the virtual choir thing at yeah. varying levels. And so they found someone else and brought them in. And, uh, and then that became two other people. And so, yeah, it, like I said, I, I review their stuff and make sure it's kind of meeting you know, music standards, like the stuff that I'm hearing is, right. is okay. Um, and then just, you know, providing basically tech support for them. You know, they're, they don't know how to make something happen in final cut yeah. or they're having trouble figuring something out in logic, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'm there to help kind of, uh, fix their issues. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's super cool. And what I love the, the, um, uh, the never say no kind of mentality, like, yeah, you have enough knowledge to get the project off the ground, but knowing mm -hmm. it's not going to be, um, it, it, knowing that you're going to have time to progress. Like it's not the, mm -hmm. you know, the finished project is going to be, yeah, better than a Brady Bunch, but not, you know, what else is kind of top of the line out there, but it's yeah. going to progress every time. And we, we at Black Swamp 
try to have that same mentality, I guess, going forward. I mean, years ago when we just started doing shop videos, basically Jamel and I, um, mm-hmm. we had a, like a flip cam, you know, and uh, we weren't we weren't recording really audio that wasn't uh, you know yeah. extra audio, and we were just setting it up on a tripod or moving around and doing stuff. And then, oh my gosh, we got iPhones, and so now you know we can use you know we can have maybe multiple camera angles or something. And then hey, let's buy a high def camera and some mics. And now you know we've just kind of keep keep growing and building. And Nathan. Uh, who works for us here is just like heavily involved in the product, you know, video production and, and editing and stuff. And then our audio production is increased. So with all that kind of idea that every time, you know, it's going to get, it's going to get better, it's going to improve and kind of our production value and quality is going to improve. So um, I don't know. I appreciate, I kind of appreciate that thought (laughs) process and what I also like, it's kind of when I talk to people uh, on the podcast about, you know, their careers and how they've built it. Like, I just see that as a thread through your career that, um, that kind of being willing to diversify yourself, whether, um, you know, it's musical theater or uh, electronics or, you know, education, um, you know, I know this was a long time ago, but it was on your website, so I'm going to reference <laughs> it. Like you were hev- okay. heavily involved in the Zeltzman Marimba Festival with like marketing yeah. and, and administration. Like you kind of have all these little little um, kind of planets orbiting each other and <laughs> and building a career. Like, do you do you sort of see it that way? Like, I mean, maybe not intentionally using all these interests and efforts to build a career, or is you know mm-hmm. has it kind of just happened like uh, like that? I think it's just kind of happened like that. Um, I'll talk more about that, uh, but I will say about the, about the just saying yes, I, there, there is a time to say no. I do want to make that clear (laughs) because if like, if it's going to, if what you're going to do isn't, if you're not comfortable or it's going to possibly have a negative impact, if you don't do something up to a certain standard, like don't say yes. You know, there's, there are times to go for something and there are times to be like, is this possibly going to damage me more if I turn it, you know, if I, if I do it and don't do a good job versus if I just say no. So granted my philosophy is to try to just say yes to as much as I can. If I have very well said no to some things where I've been like, that's not going to be good for me. And because I can't guarantee that you're going to get the best possible thing and this person's going to be better for it. And so I'm going to recommend them to you, Yeah. which also honestly has worked out in my favor because people know if I recommend someone, I'm recommending someone better than me. You know, I'm recommending someone that I look up to. Like if I get a sub for a rehearsal or a show, you know, like I mentioned Drew Lang earlier, you know, he's the, probably the first person that I try to get he's better than me and and he's higher up the hierarchy in in the gig scheme and so it's like if I'm going to get a replacement I want to make sure that they're going to be solid and they don't know the conductor doesn't have to worry about anything so that's kind of my my thing but yeah if it's going to negatively affect you then definitely don't (laughs) say yes but but otherwise you know what do you have to lose yeah um so it's so so it's just say yes within reason (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with yeah. a caveat there, yeah asterisk <laughs> you know asterisk see below yeah um terms and conditions may apply. all right and uh so yeah this there's all these different things in my career 
yeah, I I never really I never really thought about it. I you know that that all these things are kind of out there. Um, I don't know what career they're building towards. I mean, like I said, I you know I teach and I play and I do these things. Uh, am I always happy? No. Uh, do I sometimes want to be doing other things? Yes. Do I know what those other things are? Uh, maybe, <laughs> you know, right. it's kind of like, you know, it goes back to, you know, why I did a DMA. I wanted to teach college. Um, I'm currently teaching at a community college, which is, you know, admittedly a very different environment than having like uh, a normal private studio for, for most places. Mm -hmm. Most, you know, community college is not, it's the structure of the, of the degree is different. Um, so it's not like teaching at a four year school and, uh, you know, there are things that I've learned just being an adjunct that it's like, okay, well, do I want to deal with this? May, you know, if, if I did take a bigger job, but there would be other things about a bigger job that would make me not have this pro. So, you know, there's always pros and cons to mm -hmm. everything. Um, but yeah, I never really thought about how they all related together. I just was happy to kind of do the things, you know, with, with, with the Zeltzman Room Festival and, and Nancy Zeltzman. Um, that all started because I attended the festival. I went in 2007 and, as a participant and had a really good time. Amazing, amazing experience uh, with some wonderful people and teachers and meeting some awesome people. It was in Appleton, Wisconsin, which was a really cool little town. Hmm. Loved it. Um, and then I didn't go in 2008, it was in LA, um, and I just couldn't afford to, to go out for another year. And then in 2009, it was back at Appleton and Nancy contacted me. Um, I think after the 2007, I wrote a rev she asked me to write a review for, uh, not percussive notes, but whatever the news, like the little flyer. Oh, sure. Other month thing. Yeah. Was. I think it's percussive news. Yeah. It was at the time. At the time. Right. Um, and so she was like, could you write a review of the festival? And I was like, sure. And I think she asked me because I was one of the older people. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. the people that were going were in their undergrads and, and skewing younger. And, you know, in 2007, I'd I just finished my master's. And so I think that was why she asked me is because she, she knew I was older. Um, and I was like, sure. And uh, I wrote it and it went really well. And then in 2009, that was the launch of the uh, ZMF Intermediate Masterworks thing where they commissioned uh, 12 composers and then they had a huge composition contest to select 12 other composers uh, for these 24 inter supposed to be intermediate level pieces. Most of them are not intermediate. Hmm. They're very challenging. Um, but in 2009, it was this huge thing and all of the faculty members were the people that that played they each had like three pieces that they had to premiere so there was a large faculty there was eight plus all the guest artists um there were huge concerts there was the release of the book the first volume of the book was being published and um so she needed someone to manage the concerts and she said hey would you be the concert manager um which you know is just handling the people doing the ticket sales um and 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 selling of the book and CDs and handling any artist merchandise and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had had, again, I guess building on experience, I guess it, in the early two thousands, I worked uh, a few summers at a water park in the vault room. Mm -hmm. And so I handled money constantly. And the first year I was like a teller. And then the two years I was a shift manager. So I was in charge of physically accounting for all the money that went through the park yeah. in a day. Wow. And so 
you know, there was that kind of going on. And I think she was like, you know, well, you've had that accounting, you know, kind of money experience. And I was like, okay, sure. So I did it and it went really well. Like all the money was accounted for every time, (laughs) you know, there was nothing stolen. Everything went smoothly. Well, all that that either means you're really good at your job or you're really great. Super criminal. (laughs) No. No. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, no, no, um, no, really good at the job. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, so, so that went, and then I, I don't remember, I think I maybe, no, I don't think I wrote anything that year. And then 2010, uh, it was in Amsterdam, and she was like, I really want you to come. And I was like, okay. So I went, and yeah. then I, I wrote the review for that year. And then after that, she was kind of like, you know, we want to kind of expand the, the person that's been doing all of the email and all that. it's just too much. And so we want to kind of make that a separate position. You know, would you be interested in doing that? Um, and again, it was one of those, I don't really have the, the experience doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm happy to figure it out and learn you, you know, you trust working with me. Yeah. So there there's that. And, you know, they used constant contact for emails and everything was always these custom things. And I was like, well, I don't really know HTML, but I mean, you can look stuff up. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I started doing that and, um, you know, creating the email lists and, and the emails that were going out and then it became, okay, now we need to have postcards and flyers and, and posters and print ads for different locations and online ads. And so, yeah. you know, it just kind of, spawned into that and so i was like well i'm kind i kind of know illustrator adobe illustrator and so i made everything in illustrator and was always doing that for everything it would have been better if i knew in design um work with what you know make it happen and um so yeah that kind of blew up and and became a thing um up until the festival dissolved uh which was last year um or I think, yeah, it was sometime in 2020 that it officially dissolved. And so, you know, for about 10 years, you know, I was I was doing all the marketing and emails and running the Facebook and all that stuff, which I still run kind of as an alumni hub. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Well, you, for everything you're just describing, you might as well be working for Black Swamp Percussion right now because we pretty much, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're... Uh, I've probably said this a hundred times on the podcast. We're a group of percussionists that um, mm-hmm. happen to run a percussion instrument company, and we do have, <laughs> right. you know, we have a CFO and we have a, a bookkeeper, so they they know what they're doing on that end, and we've learned a lot over, you know, the years about you know running a business and running a company. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I build marketing materials and we figured out i know how social media works and fortunately like eric's brother eric's the president and founder mm-hmm. his brother's a graphic designer and he designed the initial logo and uh, helped yeah. out with you know all the kind of marketing materials early on my wife is a graphic designer so i would uh, employ her to like do you know to kind of take some of that over as i as i grew and kind of developed more like artist relations and marketing programs and became more involved in that um and then yeah i know uh, you know i was creating stuff in photoshop and my wife nicole she'd be like oh dear no uh here's indesign and like here mess around with this and so yeah i know enough just to be dangerous to like be able to create things and then i can 
you know, bounce stuff off of her. I'll, you know, send, I'll email stuff to her and be like, hey, what do you think of this and that? And then she'll give me her honest opinion and I typically ignore it and do whatever I want. But at least, oh, you're back. Hey, your video was off forever. <laughs> I just realized it was off. No, that's okay. It, I wasn't, I, no, that's okay. I, I figured maybe you were. I don't know what you're doing. You prefer to not no. be on camera, but that's no, fine. <laughs> it goes, it goes on and off. And I just like, it happens during lessons and I oh, just okay. didn't even realize I was like, Oh, I don't see myself. When I'm <laughs> right. No, it's cool. So yeah, you could be, yeah, you could totally, it's like the, the story of our life at black swamp percussion is like figuring out how to do things. Cause we don't have marketing degrees. We don't have business degrees. And that's what I think is like really cool about, like the the career you've developed but also like a lot of our artists and educators have developed they sort of learn how to do things and they and then they take that experience and apply it to other aspects of their performing or education life and it kind of grows and builds from there so i just yeah. see a lot of what i i mean when i was making notes earlier like before we spoke like a lot of versatility and then diversity like in your career and um like I was talking to Donnie Johns, uh, who's an educator in D.C. He was on the podcast um, a couple months ago or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. And he's kind of he contributed a video about like building a career in, in music or percussion mm -hmm. or really anything. And it and that is sort of at the core of some of that, just like being being diverse and being likable <laughs> and being a good guy and being honest. Like when you're talking like about referring drew lang or like being able to admit like some of your limitations like if mm -hmm. you're you know i guess you know if you need a sub hiring hiring somebody that you know and that's reliable but you know never say no with an asterisk sort of thing <laughs> yeah. like yeah, knowing what your limitations are and what your strengths and weaknesses are and that alone i think gives people a sense of trust and like um willingness to like even work with you in the future possibly so um yeah so congratulations on putting all this together uh Thanks. yeah well it's like we don't you know we don't really have much of a choice yeah um, sure you know when it comes down to it especially you know musicians and now and you know the gig economy which is literally gigging uh for us and you know you have to be able to do all these different things because you don't have someone doing it for you uh, especially starting out so right. you know knowing how to deal with social media or you know marketing promotion dealing with even just basic audio and video editing mm -hmm. like, these are the kinds of things that schools didn't teach at least when i was in school right. and absolutely should be how to do taxes you know it's like <laughs> we didn't talk yeah. about all that kind of stuff yeah. and i know that there are programs that are starting to do that more but yeah. it's like you know academia is way behind in in general everything yeah. you know so you know a lot of it is you know just trying to figure it out on your own um and yeah some people do it better than others yeah. um but we're always trying to be better at it no and we we our oldest is going into um her freshman year so ninth grade and we were helping her look you know i don't remember having to do this when i was in high school but she's got to basically look at all four years of of you know what she wants to do and you know and start thinking through what her course schedule might be and we were just looking at the course listings and there's things they offer now in high school that weren't even you know a part of my thought process like yeah like <laughs> you know um yeah, web building web development and sort of marketing there was an mm -hmm. entrepreneurial class i think like that was offered to her so um yeah i mean i agree i think there are basic life skills like how to do your taxes i think is a great idea and how to how to sort of 
work with utilities and and buy buying a home like all these adulting type mm-hmm. things that are still a struggle sometimes that we wish yeah was kind of part of the curriculum i don't know maybe it is more than i give it credit but seems like yeah. seems like um you agree that it's a little lacking but yeah. Uh-oh. At least mine, and you know, at this point, my my experience with higher education ended you know, like eight <laughs> years know, ago. So mine yeah. was much yeah. much longer way than that. But um, yeah. another cool thing I wanted to to throw out there is again just another interest in sort of um, you know sort of your diverse interest is woodworking, and I know you mm. I like um, experiment with you know like building your own instruments or repair. Like how did that take shape and develop? Yeah. Um, it honestly, <laughs> so when I moved here, um, I found this, this big maker space. Um, oh, okay. and, uh, honestly, the, the, the reason I, I joined was because I was, I want to make a set of log drums and I couldn't afford, you know, we make, log lo- <laughs> you know, we make know. log drums. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I couldn't afford them at the time. Yeah. And, and so I was like, man, I really want a set of log drums. And I was like, they would just be fun to make, yeah. you know? And so, you know, I joined, I joined the space and, you know, you have to take, um, a woodshop basics class, no matter who you are, because you have to pass off because they have to make sure, you know, it's all volunteer run, you know, makerspace things. You have to make sure you're not going to hurt yourself you know, as much as possible. Right. And so there were months backlogged on classes. And so in the meantime, they were like, well, you could take the lathe class at separate. And I was like, okay, that'll give me something to do. So I took the lathe class and learned how to use it and started making like bowls and stuff like that. I was like, okay, that's really cool. Mm. And then when I eventually got to take the woodshop class and then start making things, yeah, it just kind of sprang from that. Um, you know, I made uh, a couple random things and then it became, as I eventually kind of immersed into the scene, which really started with me playing with Dallas Winds, which was, again, thanks to Drew Lang kind of getting me pulled in there mm. um, as a sub. And, you know, so I eventually learned people and then there was, hey, you know, I heard that you do woodworking. Uh, I have this thing. Can you fix it? And so it'd be like, okay, <laughs> sure, I'll figure it out. And so it kind of stemmed from that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've had some odd, like someone was just like, man, it'd be really cool if you made like a boing box, which is like this old, you know, timey cartoon yeah, yeah. You know, sound effect. And so I was like, okay. So I like went and found like old pictures of them and what they were. And was like, all right. So I like made that and, um, I've, you know, repaired instruments, you know, cut down shells and put new bearing edges on, um, and stuff like that, which I'm not a huge fan of that frightens me, uh, mostly because I don't have dedicated equipment for it. And I'm like, I don't want to screw up drums. So like, I've only done that for kind of like low stress (laughs) again, knowing when to say no, like I've only done it for an environment where, if the end result has an imperfection, it's not going to be, I'm not, you know, doing something to the detriment of someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, I've had a lot of interesting things. Oh, the last year, um, I I did all the instruments. So, uh, for Lou Harrison's organ concerto. Yeah. Cool. Uh, which is written for percussions and organ. And there are all these specialty instruments in it. And so the director of the percussion ensemble at SMU, John Lee, uh, was like, Hey, would you make all this stuff? So it was making these box drums, which are essentially just a, a box with a top and no bottom, um, of different sizes that you strike, um, making these clackers, um, and making this, uh, bell tree, uh, kind of thing with all these Indian bells. Um, 
has a giant like box rasp that I made for it. Um, these little bars that uh, have like felt and foam that you use to press down like an octave or two octaves on piano and, wow. organ and stuff like that. I've made conductors podium for a church and things like that. So yeah, it's like anything kind of like woodworking and music adjacent. Yeah. Like people like reach out to me about doing, um, I've, I've had less and less time for it. And, and so I haven't really been doing much of anything lately with it. Um, but you know, it's just, it's a nice little thing to get to do every now and then. Yeah. Um, so where did we, yeah. you'd have to go to one of those like co-op spaces then to, to yes. work. Okay. Yeah. It's one of the biggest in the country. Well, it was, uh, um, it's still existing, but over the last year we went from 2,200 members to 1,200. Oh, okay. Um, I thought so, you were going to say yeah. 12. <laughs> now, well, they're all, and that's the thing is they're only like, I think, I think if they go under a thousand members, it, it can't sustain itself because of the, you know, the, the lease of the space. We have a huge, massive warehouse space yeah. um, and just utilities and stuff like that. So, you know, if it goes under like a thousand, it, it goes away. Oh, wow. um, and so they're really kind of uh, hoping it turns around uh, for that soon. But there were lots of other things besides the pandemic that yeah. some people there are kind of blah because you're dealing with lots of people. Um, see, my video went off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah, so I have to go there. So again, some people say, Hey, would you do this? And if it's a really simple project that I can't charge much for, it's like, okay, well it takes me 30 minutes to get there and 30 minutes to come back. And how much, how many trips I'm going to have to make because, you know, so it's like, if it's a really easy thing, sometimes it's like, well, that's not really worth it in the end because I can't charge you enough to justify all the time. So, uh, off to pass unless like we're really good friends and right. and i'm just trying to help you out um no what, yeah, so what you're doing is it's, it's called cost benefit analysis michael yes, yeah. <laughs> that's what we've yeah. learned to do at, at work again our cfo kind of like to include us in onto like okay yeah you have this great idea but how much is it gonna cost to make how much is it gonna cost to develop how many of these are we probably going to sell are they going to be tens Mm -hmm. or are they going to be you know thousands a year so that's definitely something that we consider while we're we're developing product and manufacturing so i don't know it's it's pretty cool that you have that that insight and again i think that goes back to like being an entrepreneur like having that sort of sensibility and and thinking through it like what's worth your time and what's what's not because um yeah, this is your job, your career, and you want to, you know, time is money. Obviously, I know it's a cliche, but it's the truth. Like, that's what we talk about yeah. a lot at work. Like, sometimes, like you're saying, it's not really worth you to do it. Like, sometimes, you know, it's not even worth us to, like, to start a project or something because mm-hmm. you know, of what the what the sort of cost benefit is. But And that's, mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned it too on this, on the podcast before, like, that's sometimes why we do limited edition things or we'll do Mm -hmm. limited run stuff because we do, you know, we're creative and we like to sort of showcase those talents and creativities, but we know, you know, that maybe we're not going to sell, you know, Mm -hmm. thousands of these, whatever. And we're not, so we're not going to put it on the price list or in the catalog, but you know, we'll do 50 or a hundred or whatever and kind of, kind of wet our appetite and then kind of get something new and interesting out into the world. So, um, yeah cool um i mean we're kind of coming up to an hour here so i (laughs) like i don't i don't know i think you've got a lot of great stuff going on and i appreciate you sharing it all 
with me and with the listeners um sometimes i do i do like to ask like what are you where are you getting your inspiration from like continued inspiration continued development um sometimes i kind of wrap up with this question are there things you're reading listening to watching um that kind of lead to your like progress as as a musician or percussionist or just an individual like is there anything you want to share there um i you know i think a test of this last year especially but it, it extended beyond that for me was kind of like finding new ways to be passionate about you know what i'm doing um mm-hmm. you know i've i've done like a lot of co-commission consortium type things in the past uh and then I never play the music, even though I like it. Uh, so, like, I just started um, or just commissioned, uh, well, three officially. One is still being worked out. Um, composers to write pieces specifically for me. And, um, you know, a part of that was I chose composers uh, who could reflect on, like, the gay experience and, and queer culture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, Steph Davis, uh, who's at Boston Conservatory, they're writing a rumba solo for me. Uh, che Buford, who's a violin player, uh, he's he's writing, uh, or he wrote a vibe piece for me. And then Dave Mulk, who is definitely, you know, a heterosexual white man, um, but he, he I got, I, I like him a lot and um, respect what he's doing and love all the electronic stuff he's doing, which, uh, you know, dance music, I went to a lot of raves and like, you know, gay clubs when I was younger and stuff like that. And so I was like, Hey, I have this idea and I really, he's been doing a lot with Ableton and DJ type stuff. And I was like, I really want you to write a piece for desk bells and electronics. And I want it to be kind of like dancey and reflective of this. And so he wrote me a really fun piece, which I've put a clip of on Instagram and I'm hoping to finally get all recorded this summer. Mm and, and so besides that, it's really, it's for me, I mean, I've binged everything this last year uh, just because I haven't had the desire to, to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm at home. But I think what I drive most inspiration from right now is just other people. Like, you know, I've, I've gotten to meet virtually a lot of, of really great people these last couple years and last year in particular um, and people that I respect and are doing lots of really cool things. Like I said, you know, for me, you know, the representation of having, you know, outwardly gay uh, percussionists, you know, percussion especially uh, is a very like heterosexual male driven field. Yeah. And so having these other kinds of things, you know, you've had like um, Emily De La, La Mater talk about it and like Melanie talked about it and Colin Bernstein talked about it. You know, it's just all these like people you've had on lately that have kind of talked about sure. you know, these different aspects of, you know, intersectionality and in, in queer communities and, and, you know, racism and, and misogyny and all this kind of stuff going on. Right. Um, and so I've just surrounded myself with a bunch of people that I think are doing really great things and, and being themselves and being, you know, out there and, and doing stuff, you know, Spectrum Ensemble, uh, Stephen Hall and Jamie Esposito, Jamie, right. they live in Denton close by Stevens in California. Oh, okay. Um, but they, you know, are a great, uh, duo that do a lot of really cool things and, you know, specifically for the queer community and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Lau, who was on here recently and right. stuff like that, you know, BSP guy. And so, yeah, there's just, I, I I think that is where I'm drawing a lot of my inspiration lately. It's just the 
I want to do more as much as I can. I didn't have role models for being, you know, gay in the percussion field. Um, you know, when I came out in high school, I was the only person at my high school that was out. Um, and so it was, you know, kind of that, you know, I think that's where I've, I've been driving from lately is is that idea to have something else and, and trying to be something for other people as much as I possibly can, even though I don't feel like I ever, like, I don't know. It's, you know, when you, when you've asked me about all these different things I've done, it's like, okay, yeah, I just, we, we never think about, it's really hard to think about ourselves in some of those ways and to really look at what we're doing and like appreciate ourselves for what we've done. Um, and so it's just, it becomes like embarrassing and you're like, uh, but you know, I, I've, I've definitely been trying to be more, you know, I use hashtag gay drummer on, on all my Instagram stuff, um, for all the posts. And I just, you know, trying to put stuff out there and make sure that I'm at least being a representation as much as I can, uh, for something and for other people. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And it, it, like I said, we're both my wife and I are working from home today. And so we, on those days we try to have lunch together, you know, sometimes our, <laughs> even our home schedules don't work out as far as like meetings and conversations and work and stuff. And we were kind of talking about that today at, at lunch, just, um, sort of giving ourselves credit sometimes for like the work mm-hmm. that we are doing and recognizing that and, and sort of celebrating that. And then also like my, role at black swamp like how i'm using that to help call attention to um queer percussionists or diversity in percussion or um and like you you mentioned uh, intersectionality when i talked to colleen bernstein about that mm-hmm. like you know my what it means for me to be a white male um uh straight christian middle-aged guy you know like and mm-hmm. what am i so what am I going to do to kind of help propel the conversation? And and people that I've talked to inside of the percussion community and in, even outside, like unrelated to music, like kind of starting with with the circles, the people that I know and, and the sort of the mm-hmm. sphere of influence there and, and moving outward. So um, I mean, we're proud to like support you and your efforts and um, and happy to work with you and like and to be able to kind of contribute in that sense. So I, you know, I appreciate everything you're doing and, and make sure you, you give yourself credit for all that, that work, you know, <laughs> cause I think it's important. So yeah, yeah. congratulations on it, but yeah, cool. Um, well, that reached the end of my note list. Did you have anything else you okay. wanted to talk about or throw in there or, or plug? I don't, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Like I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on these commission projects that I'm, I'm super excited about. I have, you know, I have the completed one from, from Dave Mulk. And so I'm hoping to record that in the next little bit. Yeah. I have the one from Che for vibraphone. Um, Steph is, is they're getting me the marimba piece, you know, soon they've been working on their master, uh, their, their marimba recital, um, which is coming up in a couple of days. Um, and then the fourth one, which is not totally confirmed, but I'm super excited about, which is Alex Temple. Mm. Um, and I think she's going to do something really fun. Um, and like, I, I really liked the new, um, the new works project just mm. had those miniatures and I really liked, there's a piece in there by, uh, uh, Yaz Lancaster, um, I can't, um, oh, it's called as a treat. Okay. Um, and so I contacted, yes, yeah, so it's like, just, I'm just curious, like, 
because I posted a clip of it on, on online too. And, and uh, I was like, I'm just curious about the title. And they told me like where it came from. And I just thought it was hysterical because it's based on a cat meme, um, <laughs> which I was like, perfect because I am a crazy yeah. cat lady. Yeah. Uh, so if you do follow me on Instagram, you see me talking about musical theater, uh, vegan food yeah. and about my cats. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, and so it's like, you get those three things from me. And, uh, so yeah, you know, I've been doing some stuff with, with that piece. Um, so I don't know. I just, yeah, I think it'd be cool to, to work on the next couple months and get out there. So hopefully yeah. there'll be more stuff of me actually playing more recently. I definitely do a lot of like, like I said, the teaching and the performing, but I don't put out a lot of stuff of yeah. me playing because my playing is usually in a theater, yeah. you know, in a pit. I can't really put that out there. Yeah. So, you know, trying to do the more of the solo stuff. Yeah. And the, I mean, another thing that I knew you were active in and it's cool to hear about the your upcoming efforts is commissioning and I didn't I don't know I didn't take the time to kind of dig into that but it's cool (laughs) it's cool to know like that's like in the future for you like even like an ongoing project of like um uh you know bringing awareness and and diversity to like your playing and into Mm -hmm. your collaborations and stuff so I'm looking forward to like seeing and hearing more about that too as we move forward me but. too <laughs> yeah trying to it's because right. it's really just trying to reinvigorate myself yeah. and make myself like playing yeah. in that aspect again right. you know you know i think I, I fell away from that a lot so finding things that i actually care about to perform and people that i want to hear from yeah. with their music you know i think I think that's where it's finally head for me rather than, the, oh, I guess I'll just join this thing and, ha-, you know, yeah, the composer's cool and all, but, yeah. you know, now I care more about these other things that are going to reflect more about who I am and stuff like that. This has been a BSP production recorded and produced out of the Black Swamp Percussion Facilities in Zeeland, Michigan. Audio and production assistance by Nathan Coles. Intro and outro music by Adam Hopper. Music sprinkled throughout the episode featured works and performances by musicians and composers promoting LGBTQ music in the percussion world. This includes Alex Temple, Dave Molk, Michael Patassin, the Spectrum Ensemble, and Steph Davis. Full links available in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening.